history tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 33rd episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today we're going to a place that doesn't sound exciting on paper, the Morse Mill Hotel in Missouri. But when you look at the history of this place, oh my gosh, Denise, it has everything. And by everything, we do mean everything. <laughs> Gangsters, serial killers, ghosts, and a rich history. That includes the Civil War. Oh, and prostitution, yes. The other interesting thing, you know, one of those synchronicities, this is our 33rd podcast. Guess how many rooms this hotel has? Um, let me think. 28? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Probably 33. And as we always talk about connections to spooky numbers, there are some people out there that might realize the significance of 33 and how that has a little bit of spookiness to it as well. So we're looking forward to bringing you that history and hauntings of that Location. We also want to uh, thank Cinema Inferior. We got a five-star review over at iTunes. Greatly appreciate that. And we did hear from another listener that she had taken the time to put a review up there, and then it didn't show up. I know iTunes, it usually takes one to two days before a review that you type in shows up. So when you hit enter and you're expecting it to show up like a comment anywhere else, it doesn't do that at iTunes. But apparently it ate her comment because it never did pop up there. So I'm wondering if that's happened to any of our other listeners. So if you have taken the time to leave us a comment and a review over at iTunes, just take a little quick check back there and see if it did pop up because for some reason hers didn't. And so I'm wondering if that happened for other people. We do greatly appreciate any reviews that you give us there or over at Stitcher. It just helps give the show more visibility, gets us up there because there are Thousands and thousands and thousands of shows out there. As a matter of fact, I just picked up a couple more, Denise, that I started listening to that are brand new. And it just, there's so many that, you know, you totally get lost in there. We're not even in the top 200 at iTunes. So we need some help to get us up there. So if you guys could do that, we would greatly appreciate it. Also want to make sure you check out our website at historyghostbump.com. It's got everything you want to know about the show, where to find us on social media, Also, to sign up for our newsletter, it's entirely free, and we just send out the audio to the show and a lot of other little special things when we have events coming up and some stories that we think might be of interest to you. You can also do your donations there, and it's a place to check out where you can listen to the show and get the archives of the show as well. And if they would like to contact us with any feedback or just want to email us for some reason, where can they do that, Denise? That would be at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And I'm just going to reiterate um, the group page for the Spooktacular crew over on Facebook. Um, please join and start to contribute because I'm more the social girl. I mean, Diane's social, but I like the social thing. So we would love to see you interacting with us there, posting your, your ideas. And that's where we'll be um, definitely keeping people up with any meetups that we're going to do. And as we get ready to plan this road trip um, through many, many states, we will be stopping and doing ghost tours along the way. So not only are we going to take our listeners with us, but if anybody are in those areas, we would love to have you join us on a ghost tour. That would be a lot of fun. And that's where we put up a lot of articles that might be of interest to people. I know that I put up a couple things 
in the past couple of days over there. We did a show on Aokigahara Forest in Japan. That's the suicide forest, if you guys tuned into that show. And I was on Twitter, and I just happened to notice that this girl had written an article over at Creepy Corner about her experiences going there. She wanted to check out the place because she'd heard so much about it. So she wrote a little article about it, so you can get links to that over at the Spooktacular Crew. And I also found an article that Denise was having a great time. I don't know if it's... Uh, it was an interesting article, <laughs> not necessarily a great time. might one. not be the exact words, <laughs> but um, it was just looking at serial killers in another not-as-developed country in Swaziland, Africa. And it was a very, very fascinating article of just how easy it was for these girls to get lost. And it started, you know, they thought they had a few bodies and the body count just kept growing and growing and growing because of just the stature of women in the country and stuff like that. So it was an extremely interesting article, disturbing but interesting. Yeah, and you don't really think of Africa and serial killers going hand in hand. And, you know, these two definitely, they rival any serial killers we have here in America. Absolutely. Did you know I heard somewhere that there is... Anywhere between, I don't know, they said up to 600 serial killers at one time on the planet, but just like 25% of them are active at one time. I heard that because you told me and freaked me out anymore because I, I'm not a big fan of scary like horror movies of the horror genre. And so like I have all these rules about watching movies, but anything to do with serial killers are the ones that creep me out the most. So why I've gotten into to, um, the Alex Cross series with James Patterson who knows? Maybe because Alex Cross is the hero and he gets them or something. But serial killers are my scariest monster out there. Well, we have one for you today. Oh, yay. <laughs> All right, let's get this show started. like to support the show please visit our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com Karnak is a small village in northwest France Karnak is home to the Karnak Stones. These stones number 3,000 and make up one of the largest megaliths in Europe. The stones were erected during the Neolithic period and were hewn by the pre-Celtic people of Brittany from local rock. The largest stone is over 13 feet high. The stones are laid out in both straight lines and circles, with some of the lines stretching further than 2,000 feet. Why were these stones placed here? There are many theories. Some scholars believe that the megalith was built over time as people erected stones in honor of ancestors. Some think the stones are grave markers. Others speculate that there's a connection to astronomy. The idea that these are grave markers is supported by the fact that the area also has several dolmens, which are funeral chambers. The area was first excavated in the 1860s by a Scottish antiquarian named James Milne. The site is in need of management to help preserve the area. The megalith was taken over by a group of protesters in 2002, demanding that the site stop its current management and form a different plan. Controversy still abounds. Megaliths like the Karnak Stones are a wonder, but they are also odd. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it! You're acting like a child! 
They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. He'll hear you. Here he comes now. I'm getting out of here. John. This day in history. On this day, March 11th in 1918, the Spanish influenza is diagnosed and reported for the first time in America at Fort Riley in Kansas. A cook had come down with influenza a couple days earlier, but it was not identified as influenza until the 11th. 100 soldiers were infected by that time. Cases were reported that same day in Queens, New York as well. Now imagine hundreds of infected troops being shipped overseas to fight in World War I. Close quarters caused the disease to spread throughout Europe. The first wave was the least deadly. Two more waves were worse, with more than 195,000 Americans dying. Worldwide, mortality is estimated between 50 to 100 million. Cities banned public gatherings and people were quarantined. Gravediggers were overwhelmed. Famed pilot Amelia Earhart contracted the Spanish flu, but she survived. It is believed the virus originated in China traveled with Chinese laborers and mutated in America. The flu was given the name Spanish because most of the news of this pandemic came when the virus traveled from France to Spain. Global organizations like the Centers for Disease Control and World Health Organization formulated plans to prevent pandemics based on their experiences with this flu. This is Victoria from the Ninth Story Podcast. You're listening to the History Ghost Bump Podcast. History is boring. It's terrifying. Terrifying. Especially when it goes fuck. Boo! The Mooresmill Hotel in Hillsborough, Missouri has it all for history and ghost enthusiasts alike. This location has not only served as a private residence, tavern and inn, but also as a hospital for the Confederate wounded during the Civil War. And during Prohibition, this building was both a speakeasy and a brothel. A female serial killer has been connected to the Morse Mill Hotel as well. This nearly 200-year-old structure is full of surprises and quite possibly ghosts. The first structure built on this property was a one-bedroom house in 1816 that served as a residence for a farmer. The area had once been a Native American burial ground and had been ruled by the Spanish under the Louisiana Territory. By 1816, the region was known as the Missouri Territory. William Clark of the Lewis and Clark Expedition served as the territorial governor. In 1847, bridge engineer and entrepreneur John H. Morse settled the area and built a grist mill along the shores of the beautiful Big River, naming it Morse Mill. That mill was the longest-running and most prosperous mill in the state of Missouri. The mill would give the city of Morse Mill its name as well. Morse bought the farm property at that time and expanded the house to 5,300 square feet and three stories, building it from limestone and maple. The house has a New Orleans-style balcony and widow's walk. Unfortunately, the date that the Morse homestead was built is hard to track down. We found dates ranging from 1847 to 1856 or the early 1870s. 
We also found a Groupon posting that claimed Morse was a warlock. It's the only place that I've seen claim that. So I don't know if they were just using that for, you know, marketing purposes, but it was the only place that I found anything that said he was a warlock. Exactly. So Groupon has great deals, but do they have great, great historical facts? That is for you to decide. No, I'm just kidding. Denise, this mentioned that this has a widow's walk. Do you know what a widow's walk is? Um, yes, I actually do because of our historian that's very connected to our show and student. When we were at Disneyland, of all places, we did a tour and the, I can't remember which building, was it the Haunted Mansion or? It's in New Orleans not. Square. It was in New Orleans Square, yeah. Because when you go to Disneyland, they have things there that are supposed to make it look like you're in a port in New Orleans. And so you'll see like a mast of a top of a ship. But that's all that there is. It's just the top of a ship. There's actually no ship there. And then I, I'm not sure what which building that Widow's Walk is on top of. Yeah, I can't, I, I can't remember. But but it is in New Orleans Square, and that's where the, the women, when the men went out to sea, would walk waiting for their guys to come home. And that's why they call it the Widow's Walk, because many of them waited in vain as their gentlemen never returned from the sea. So. Yeah, it could be an adulterous bastard walk, too, because maybe he just didn't come home because he stayed away in some port of call. Yes, because I were going to go. And then here, this beautiful structure, and you'll see the adulterous bastard. I can't even say it. So anyway, Diane will give that part of our tour. Thank you. John Morse joined the Confederate Army when the Civil War broke out. The home became a makeshift hospital for the Confederate prisoners of war and possibly a stop on the Underground Railroad. So now, not only have we added the things we talked about at the beginning of the show, but we've also added an Indian burial ground and now part of the Underground Railroad. So you can see that there's, this place is teemed with history. After the Civil War, Morse opened a contracting business and built the Sandy Creek Covered Bridge that still stands today and resembles a long red barn. He later went on to become a state senator representing the counties of Jefferson and Washington. And if that was not enough, Morse opened two general stores as well. Morse had big visions for Morse Mill. He knew the area would make a fine retreat for tourists, but he did not live to witness the future playground for the rich, famous, and infamous his home would become. And in the show notes today, we do have a picture of the Sandy Creek Covered Bridge. It's a neat-looking bridge, and it does. It looks like a long red barn. So if you want to check that out, you can see that in the show notes. And it actually looks really familiar to me. It seems like I've seen it maybe covered with snow or, or maybe photographed for pictures before, unless there, there's probably other bridges like it. But it, I've definitely seen a red bridge that goes across a ravine like that. Before they built a lot of the highways and stuff, in order to get from this area up to St. Louis, there were a lot of bridges built in this area. But, uh, these bridges were a very popular thing because it was really the only way to get to and from one place. And I believe this bridge is only one of four in the area that's still standing. Okay. And, and the, it's become a state historic site, I think. And it would make sense somewhere like Missouri that you would cover a bridge because, as, as you know, if anybody's ever done any driving, whenever you hit areas that get ice or snow, they always warn you about bridges because they tend to freeze quicker than the regular streets. And so if you cover it, maybe that would help keep some of that from happening. I bet you're right. I hadn't even thought about that. When Morse died, his home became the Riverside Hotel, and it was expanded further to make room for 18 guest rooms, and a fourth floor was added. The entire town of Morse Mill became a thriving tourist town. The hotel became a hotspot for many people looking to find relaxation near the waters of the Big River. The hotel saw its most success during the 20s and 30s. Guests included Charles Lindbergh, Charlie Chaplin, actress Clara Bow, who, do you know Betty Boop? Boop, boop, be doo 
That's who she was based off of. Oh, okay. Al Capone and J. Frank Dalton. Dalton is an interesting character. He claimed to be Jesse James, and although his claims did not hold up under the scrutiny of James's family members, many people do believe he was the real deal. And when he died in 1951 at 103 years old, his death certificate recorded his name as Jesse Woodson James. A sheriff by the name of Orrin Baker went to the funeral home where Dalton was taken and confirmed that he was indeed Jesse James based on markings on his body, including a missing fingertip. Dalton's gravestone bears the name of Jesse James as well. If we believe this, then Jesse James frequented the Morse Mill Hotel. The official website for the hotel claims that Jesse James and his gang left their names in the register along with doodles. Apparently one of their group was a cartoonist, so he doodled in the register. During Prohibition, the hotel was a perfect location for a speakeasy. The whiskey that was served was Al Capone's whiskey. But Al Capone was not the most infamous character to be tied to Morse Mill and the hotel. That distinction goes to Bertha Giffords, who was born near Morse Mill in 1876. Bertha's family was a Christian family and well-known. In her 20s, Bertha married a man named Henry Graham, and they took on the managing of the Morse Mill Hotel. Graham became ill and died. It would be years before people would surmise that Bertha killed Graham with arsenic because arsenic is going to put Bertha on the annuals of female serial killers, and she's going to be quite prolific. After Graham died, Bertha married Jean Gifford, a man she was rumored to be having an affair with. They moved to Catawissa, which is several miles away, in 1911. That same year, Bertha went to the Pacific Pharmacy and purchased a large amount of arsenic for quote-unquote rats. In 1917, she would also make large purchases of arsenics from the Powers Pharmacy. Bertha was known to be a great cook, and she made great candy. Candy that killed. Yes, indeed, Bertha poisoned several children with her arsenic candies. Sherman Pounds was a drunk who spent some time at the Giffords farm. He died after some violent stomach pains, but people assumed it was the alcohol that got him. His granddaughter died in the same house several years later. Bertha made potions that she administered to people on their sickbed. Jean's mother died, and then his younger brother. Jim Ogle, a higher hand they owed money, came down with malaria or something, and Bertha nursed him to death. The death started to pile up, and anywhere between 17 and 26 are credited to her. She was finally arrested in 1928 and charged with the murders of one man, Edward Brimley, and two boys, Elmer and Lloyd Schimmel, seven and nine years old, respectively. She was found not guilty by reason of insanity and was locked up in an asylum until her death there in 1951. Her death certificate reveals that she had been diagnosed with paranoid psychosis. She is buried in Morse Mill Cemetery. Yes, and apparently that's one of the stops if you do a tour at the Morse Mill Hotel that they make to the cemetery so you can see her grave. She um, used to make these great chocolates, apparently, and they say that those are all the people that she killed, but either a lot of people got really lucky or their numbers are way off because, I mean, literally anybody who stayed at their house for any amount of time was dead. <laughs> and it, I can't believe it took them this long to figure it out. It took them years and years and years because I'm like, you'd think that the pharmacies, because she only went between the two, would figure out why is somebody buying that much arsenic? You might have a rat problem, but that's pretty intense. Especially because I'm assuming it takes more arsenic to kill a human than to kill a rat. So you'd have to have like Pied Piper rats everywhere. And it's a horrible way to die. And the funny thing about her with the paranoid psychosis, 
she actually thought that she was doing a good thing, taking some of these people out of the world. Now, I don't know how that equates to children, how it could be good for them, but some of these people, she was like, oh, well, that was a bad person or they were sick. So I was just, you know, helping them along. Well, thanks for your help, miss. New highways were built and resorts in the Ozarks became more appealing. Morris Mill lost its luster as it became a declining town with much of it washing away in a flood in 1993. Patrick Sheehan bought the Morris Mill Hotel and is working to restore the building. The hotel is open for paranormal investigation and events. And with a history like this, paranormal activity is plentiful and... Although it does say it's a hotel, it is not open as a hotel yet. He hopes to eventually do that. But based on the pictures I've seen, it has a long, long, long time of restoration to come. Absolutely. In 2008, a paranormal group made a documentary named Morse Mill Project. The group claimed that something unseen played with their camera equipment, moving it. They reportedly saw a tall, dark shadow figure and a fire poker was bent into a curve by something not seen. And they heard several strange sounds, including a loud metallic sound. A couple of the people were scratched as well. And in the show notes, we have a picture of that bent fire poker. And if you look at it, the fireplace that's behind it, it looks like there's a fire in it. There was no fire burning in that. So I'm not sure why there's the illumination in that fireplace like that. Could just be the reflection of the light. The current owner has gotten used to the paranormal activity, even though he had no idea that the place was haunted when he bought it. Disembodied footsteps are a common occurrence at what he took on as a project. Glowing orbs are seen, doors are opened and closed, locks are locked and unlocked, and apparitions have been seen. A group that included police officers investigated the hotel in February, and they reported, quote, K2 and flashlights sitting on display cabinets started lighting as soon as turned on and placed on case. One officer thought he heard someone whispering behind him. He turned around, and no one was there. One of the young girls felt dizzy and had to sit down all of a sudden. She felt better after moving to a different area. We kept hearing noise outside the window while I was giving history. I actually stopped and had Dawn go outside to check the noise. No explanation, and it started again after she came in. One of the officers was part of a SWAT team, and he brought his night vision glasses while I was finishing the history. He started to see a figure behind the large upright display case. At first, all that he could see was the legs. At least two of the other officers looked and agreed that it wasn't a reflection of any of us in the room. Several of the group tried the dousing rods. They all received responses to the questions they were asking while holding the rods. I had placed a flashlight on the stairs, and while we were using the dousing rods, the flashlight started going on and off in response instead. A ghost by the name of Annabelle, who claims to be 12 years old, lives in the attic. The entity purportedly plays with toys brought by investigators. However... We did find other investigators that reported that this spirit claims to be five or six years of age. In the basement is a room that contains shackles and a body was buried there. The ghost of a former slave is reported to haunt this area. Clattering of cooking implements are heard in the kitchen. Both of the Giffords are thought to haunt the location, but we doubt that. Bertha's first husband, Henry Graham, would be more likely. Spirits have been witnessed outside the house, too. Many groups have recorded EVPs numbering into the hundreds. Most experiences are not negative. There are claims that at least 20 spirits are on the property. And we have a picture up in the show notes that's an image that was captured on the attic stairs. And it kind of looks like a glowing Casper the Friendly Ghost sitting up at the top of those stairs. It's a weird kind of mist. Very much so. There's no window right there, so I don't know. It's hard to know if it's just light reflecting. It's it's a bizarre-looking picture. 
It to me, it almost looks like a body standing with no head. Yeah, you're right. You know what? It does. It looks like maybe a little girl coming down oh. the stairs without her head. Exactly. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. The previous owner was named Alice, and she claims that the hotel is not haunted and that she never experienced anything paranormal. When people charge for investigators to go through a place and seem to be making money for it, it does tend to place doubts on claims. It is nice to have the money to help with restoration, but it does raise questions. And I saw a lot of debates and forums about this location where people were saying, well, the guy's been a little shady sometimes. Some people claimed that he had said the previous owner, Alice, was dead, but she's the head of the historical society in that area. So she's still alive and kicking. And so, you know, you sometimes do wonder. I know they have a lot of events at this place and stuff, and there's a lot of... The problem is what I was finding was half and half. Half of the paranormal investigation websites I would go to would say that they went there, and to their credit, they would say, we didn't find anything. And then there were others that, mostly it seems like EVPs that people are are getting. And, of course, that's always questionable, because half the time when I hear an EVP, I don't hear anything, or I don't hear what they say you should be hearing. So I'm not sure if it's just some other kind of audio anomaly. Exactly. It's sort of like back in the... The days of back masking, it's people say, yeah, do you hear it saying this? And I'd be going, no, <laughs> you know, and sometimes you could, but like when they play mm-hmm. for people who don't know what that is, that's when they would play an album backwards. And then supposedly there'd be things like coming out like voices of it. And so sometimes EVPs are the same. I'm like, I don't think I'm hearing what you're saying. And sometimes I do. So, yeah. And they could say that it's saying two different things and I hear both things. So it's, it, you're right. It is very much like back masking or hearing what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Although this location, definitely, I would do a tour just for the history of it. Oh, no I mean, kidding. It's amazing, the history that has happened in this place and the people that have been connected to it. Well, and like we've already said, it has all the makings of a haunting because it has like all, all the components. The only thing it wasn't was an asylum. You know, you're right. That's pretty much it. Yeah, so, but like the, the war hospitals, the Underground Railroad, Indian burial grounds, People Jesse dying James there. and his gang, poisonings, Al you know. Capone and gangsters. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like it has definitely a lot of the makings to have paranormal activity. And it's funny because it is this, it was, it was bustling at one time, but it still was never like an immensely big town. And now it's just like a little knockabout that you barely even notice driving past it. Yeah. So it's amazing. It, just how did they find this place and why was it so popular yeah and i don't know it's it's about an hour from st charles missouri which where we'll be staying as one of our stops on our road trip so i don't know if we'll get a chance to go out and actually see it in in person it is going towards the direction that we'll be leaving mm-hmm. in but i don't know how much off the the regular path we'll be going it is so it'll be interesting if we get over there to see it but we have other ghost stuff lined up for st charles so any of our cousins aunts uncles that want to go get spooky with us stay <laughs> tuned or anybody else in missouri Yes, I mean, we might have listeners there. We'd love to meet up with them. So, the Morse Mill Hotel was featured in Travel Channel's Most Terrifying Places in America 6. Are the previous guests still staying at the hotel? Has John Morse been reluctant to leave his home? Has some kind of residual energy been trapped in this hotel? Is Morse Mill Hotel haunted? That is for you to decide. And we do have some links in our show notes if you guys uh, ever want to check out the website. We do have links to the official website. There also is American Hauntings is sponsoring an event on April 25th of this year, 2015. And uh, we have a link if you'd like to check out that event. It's about $75 per person. It's an overnight ghost hunt. 
if you're into that kind of thing. And I also thought it would be interesting if you guys want to check it out, Bertha Gifford's death certificate. I do have the link to the PDF for that so you can kind of see what a death certificate back in that time said. And paranoid psychosis, I'm assuming, is like schizophrenia. But they didn't have that name back then, I don't think. Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure what would... I'm, I don't, I'm not real up on my words of what would be the difference between schizophrenic or psychotic or... Or when it even came into our language. Yeah, and maybe they wouldn't do it as schizophrenic. Maybe psychosis is when it goes into harming others. Because we've known several people with schizophrenia that... Well, back then they wouldn't have had treatment. I wouldn't right. think too oh, much. That's I mean, that's why too, they did so. lo- lobotomies and uh, electric shock therapy because they thought that would help in some way. Yeah, Which, that's true. I, I don't know. I get torn because when you look at what they do with drugs and the chemical altering that they cause to the brain nowadays, I don't know that that's much better than giving somebody a lobotomy. All right. Well, for our next show, we're going to be coming up on St. Patrick's Day. St. Patty's Day. So it makes sense that we go to somewhere in Ireland, don't you think? I think that makes absolutely perfect sense. So we're going to go to the Kilmainham Jail. Ooh, jails mm. are very interesting. It's a very cool looking jail, too. And apparently it's quite haunted in Dublin, Ireland. So join us for that show. We want to thank you for joining us for this show. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com.